Namaste everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host Kushal Mehra. Alright, today's podcast is part 2 of uh, our earlier discussion which was hate speech and blasphemy laws. In case you have not seen that uh, and you are just jumping over here, you may not understand what's happening. So uh, we did part 1 a while ago. I think it was a good 4-5 months ago uh, or around 4 months ago. So there we basically started with the development of the law itself and the legal history then we went into macaulay and why macaulay said a few things then we explained the purest faith and monster superstition then nikhil mentioned some supreme court comments then there was the concept of blasphemy then we explained ipc section 295 296 297 298 295a then certain Indian movements, and then Nikhil had used two specific cases to explain uh, blasphemy and hate speech with Rangila Rasul, and I still remember the one which was my personal favorite, which was the Vichitra Jeevan case. Now that that uh, I, I would highly recommend all of you guys to go and uh, go through the Vichitra Jeevan case. Now today's podcast is going to be a continuation of that. Um, so now that I have said all I wanted to say. Let me welcome Nikhil Mehra back. Nikhil, what are you fit. You are fit. You are a good boy. So, now I can Mehra back. Thanks for having me again, Kushal. This is an interesting topic. It's, you know, uh, as I got down to preparing this one, I realized that we will have to sort of do a larger picture here because this cannot be just about India. Uh, and in a sense, what this will do is contextualize, oddly enough, so this is part two, will contextualize part one in a sense. And the theme that will emerge is that Indian blasphemy laws, hate speech laws, you know, these are effectively hate speech laws. Uh, and then there's, of course, the wonderful Law Commission of India on hate speech, which I've got here, uh, which has some really, really uh, wonderful stuff to it. But anyway, they tend to focus on singular incidents, singular events, and singular comments. Whereas the law of hate speech, if we look at it in terms of international law, where this idea first originated, that has a much broader ramification, which is looking at an idea of larger persecution, widespread attacks, and in that context. There is now movement both within Europe and within the United States to the woke movement, and in India, this, this has existed for a long time, where you want to start pinning individualized responsibility for solitary comments. You understand what I'm saying? Right? A solitary comment. You could have a standalone comment and you want to refer to that as hate speech. Whereas the idea of hate speech really originated in the concept of a larger persecution. In the course of this, I'll also discuss the difference. A little bit of this will be repetitive to the main free speech podcast that we had done because I will come back to American law and how American law stands on a distinct footing and that while it stands on a distinct footing from say European law or Australian law or, or the law of the uh, uh, or international law in general I'll also look at some of the law under the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda and the International Criminal Tribunal for Yugoslavia because there are two genocides that occurred live in front of our eyes in the 90s and they offer a context for applying 
these principles, right? Uh, and through that, I will come to the point of India. And my principle on India is, India doesn't actually recognize hate speech as a prosecutor, or it does, but it doesn't choose to really prosecute in a strict sense. India has a very unique power, which is that there is there are very few countries where the process is the punishment quite like it is in India. And so they just put you through the process for a while. Right? You go through the process. They may choose that the process for you today implies only a huge amount of money drained from your pocket or a few days in the cooler, 60 days in the cooler, 90 days in the cooler, a little bit longer than that, and then you're out. And then the whole thing just sort of disappears. There are no charge sheets, nothing. Right? So we... We have a we have our own way of I wouldn't even call it a way of dealing with things. It is really, in a strict sense, a disconnect between the principles the Supreme Court espouses and the principles that the local police station actually enforces. But I think the best place, the best way to start all of this is to try and arrive at a definition of hate speech. And the short answer is there is no definition of hate speech. None whatsoever. Right. <clears throat> the UN has attempted a definition of hate speech. And if I apply this definition, then 75% of Twitter will be in jail because the definition says the term hate speech is understood as any kind of communication in speech, writing or behavior that attacks or uses pejorative or discriminatory language with reference to a person or a group on the basis of who they are. In other words, based on the religion, ethnicity, nationality, race, color, descent, gender, or other identity factors. So keywords here being pejorative or discriminatory language. Pejorative. Behavior in what sense, Nikhil, if you don't mind me uh, asking for a further explanation? This is something that UN will have to explain. I think behavior, they may, they may, be, they may be speaking about uh, gestures and symbols. And they, okay. they may use the word behavior more generally in that sense. Right? So you could have the Nazi symbol. You remember the, the uh, Albanian player in the Swiss team who made the eagle flag at the Euros. That could be behavior, you know, the use of certain symbols that people find objectionable. <clears throat> but if you look at this definition, it uses the words pejorative or discriminatory language. This is an impossible standard. Literally anything that you find object where you state an objectionable aspect of a person or an objectionable aspect of a group could be termed as pejorative or discriminatory. Right? I think what they're trying to drive towards is that when you speak to each other, you will only speak, speak about individuals. You will not look at group behavior, whereas people are more predisposed towards looking at group behavior because they see it in their social, social, social media. So uh, they... This sort of legal legal definition is driving it towards saying when Nikhil Mehra and Kushal Mehra are fighting, they are going to fight only qua Nikhil Mehra and Kushal Mehra so that mm -hmm. the total limit of their liability legally can be limited to liberal and slander. Mm -hmm. And there is no circumstance in which Nikhil Mehra can abuse all Mehras because Kushal Mehra is a part of that clan. 
or nikhil mehra can abuse all punjabis because kushal mehra is a punjabi you know like there is no dearth of the moments at which you will turn on and say madrasi aise hi hote hain ye punjabi aise hi hote hain ye bangali aise hi hote hain do mm-hmm. all of that in this definition would fit right okay and so therefore i find that, uh, sorry main matlab okay I, now I'm, i have some clarity right so uh because all of those statements a simple thing like that is discriminatory or pejorative it's certainly pejorative it may not be discriminatory but it's pejorative in relation to a, in reference to a person or a group on the basis of who they are right and a group and a or a person so individually also in fact i can't even be pejorative or discriminatory towards you based on who you are which now starts to make me think that all they want us to do is to be you know kumbaya and happy life and all of that which is not yeah or shut life. up <clears throat> but they say rather than prohibiting hate speech as such international law prohibits the in- incitement to discrimination hostility and violence incitement is a very dangerous form of speech because it explicitly and deliberately aims at triggering discrimination hostility and violence which may also lead to uh, lead to or include terrorism or atrocity crimes hate speech that does not reach the threshold of incitement is not something that international law requires states to prohibit so in the breadth of the definition that i just explained this limitation now arises international law does not need for you to prohibit uh, aspects which do not reach a certain threshold i'll show you other statute here they say the incitement threshold other statute will call it the gravity threshold uh and american law will call it a direct incitement to violence threshold these thresholds are variable they change and if you go back to our old free speech podcast not part 1 but the main free speech podcast which was a general podcast on the principles of free speech there mm-hmm. i had explained the standards of broad standards they exist and that the indian standard is more in line with a judgment called shenk versus united states which is clear in present danger which was rejected by the us supreme court later in brandenburg on the ground that if you say shank was the clear and present danger then what you're really saying is that a judge gets to choose which idea is better and which is not and uh-huh. that's not that's not the concept of free speech and so therefore a judge can't be placed in that position and therefore this standard cannot apply right so just just this is sort of a broad outline it sort of takes you where it has to go uh and then you have you know there are it is all good to have these discussions and abstractions <clears throat> anyway so like i was saying it's it's fun to debate these things in abstraction without any context but situations like say the rwandan genocide or the serbian genocide uh, tend to create a real life laboratory for the application of these principles uh, in a sense that's when the rubber hits the road and so in that situation what do the statutes say what have been the prosecutions what has what is the reason so this was the remit of the international criminal tribunal for rwanda that it shall have the power to prosecute persons responsible for the following crimes when committed and these are very important words. what i'm going to say right you're going to get this very quickly and i'll say them and you you should mark them out for whoever is listening because 
this distinguishes what I was saying earlier. Responsible for the following crimes when committed as part of a widespread or systematic attack against any population on national, political, ethnic, racial or religious grounds. And what are these particular acts? There are various murder, extermination, the easy ones are murder, extermination, enslavement, deportation, imprisonment, torture, rape, persecution on political, religious and racial grounds. Now, it is within the rubric of this particular head, persecution on political, racial and religious grounds, that these so-called jurisprudence of so-called hate speech fits. Right? None of the other heads actually cover hate speech. But this is the one under which hate speech fits. So, what it sets up is one, a concept of persecution. That is from the main section, from the uh, subsection. But the main section first sets up the requirement of a widespread or systematic attack against any civilian population. Right? And you must regard this in the fact that often when we are looking at 295A, 153A, we might be looking at pre-censorship in India. And I'll take you through those cases. Example being uh, a book published by one of our autobiography, actually, by Dr. Vasili Manasreen, which was eventually allowed in India by the Calcutta High Court. Uh, paintings made by, uh, uh, oh, how can I forget his name? And that was also eventually allowed by the Delhi High Court. Versus situations where there is, versus, uh, which are sort of examples of either censorship prior to the publication, in, in the case of uh, Taslima Nasreen's book, the book had just about entered India before it was completely taken out under, under Section 95 CRPC, or are so there, sort of a pre-censorship for a number of the other states in the country, or an immediate censorship upon publication, which can happen, for example, with YouTube videos, can happen with tweets, it can happen with various things, right? But these are scenarios where an assessment and a judgment is being made after an actual genocide has occurred. They have been free to act as they wanted to. All of these individuals in that, they have shown their full depravity. And now the hammer of the law is going to fall upon them. Right? So it is with the benefit of hindsight. And you would think with the benefit of hindsight comes the greater wisdom of even with this heinousness, what are the principles we can establish? Which are binding legal principles. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, what should and should not be in terms of general behavior, but binding principles of law, which are limits of human action. You can be well behaved, you can be badly behaved. Those are all things that form part and parcel of existence. And that is a huge amount of margin that every human being must possess. But there comes a point in that margin where you start touching the limits of the law. And so this what this will set out is the limits of the law. And in that they say, one, you need to be widespread or systematic attack against a civilian in the context of persecution. Now, the two competing judgments that arose, uh, and there is a judgment of the trial chamber in the ICTY, that is the International Criminal Tribunal for Yugoslavia. This is Milosevic's uh, genocide, which is called Prosecutor versus Kopreskic. 
and it laid down four prong test for what amounts to actionable hate speech so this is the four prong test that tells you a kind of speech that amounts to a persecution right so right off the bat while we commonly use the word hate speech it it legislative system trying to deal with a genocide where in the context of both yugoslavia and rwanda propagandist speech was vital for setting up the genocide in the first day there is uh, you you would have heard these stories or actually let me just set this out because so many viewers may not know this but in rwanda uh, the hutus and the tutsis are the two principal communities that inhabit that nation and this was a genocide that was conducted we should uh, one second by the hutus upon the minority tutsis and again a very similar kind of justification to what that famous justification of barkha dats in relation to kashmiri pandits that tutsis while they were a minority were holding more political power more government positions if you recall that that famous clip that keeps doing the rounds on twitter from time to time right uh, i'm sure somebody will pull it up and put it out in any event it's what it, what it sets up is that the hutus had control over radio rwanda and on radio rwanda they used to have these propaganda speeches all the time right but there was one category of speeches where they were literally identifying by name and address and road number the homes of tutsis so that hordes of hutus could descend upon those homes and throw them out or kill them or whatever right those are indisputable actions of hate speech because they are direct incitement to violence there is no standard in the world that will say that that radio personality is not responsible for the actual act of murder that happens and let's say the actual act of murder fails and nobody even acts on it nonetheless he would be guilty because he is still incited directly and uh, uh imminently Mm-hmm. right it's a coincidental fact that somebody didn't actually act upon it so that was one kind of speech the other is your general what you call dog whistle propaganda got it right and this was intrinsic to how the rwandan genocide was affected how it was so effective and how it was conducted similarly in in yugoslavia you used to have newspapers it was all sparked off all sparked off by one fraudulent fake photograph of a serbian woman agricultural so serbian woman in the agricultural fields with her child in a sack on her back and a rifle in her hand and the story said our women and children are being raped and plundered and therefore to save her child she has to carry a weapon with her and that story then leads to an explosion of anger and for those who are obliquely interested there's a, there's a wonderful and, and since it's the football world cup is a wonderful book called how football explains the world by a man called franklin foyer f o e r where there's a chapter on the great sort of club sides of europe and their entire story and their entire history 
And the very interesting story is that of Red Star Belgrade, which was the main Belgrade football team for a long time. And one of the great European teams in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And how their ultras, the ultras are the most cutter fans, right? Okay. Uh, the ultras were primarily involved in the conduct of the genocide. Okay. Just an aside. So, these are two genocide scenarios in which the use of propaganda widely recognized was inherent to the successful conduct of these genocides. Uh, it's in that context of various judgments. All right, so let me refer to this judgment. The standards that I was telling you that Kupreskic laid down is that there should be a gross or blatant denial on discriminatory grounds of a fundamental right laid down in international customary or treaty law, reaching the same level of gravity as other crimes against humanity. Right? So I'll repeat that. A gross or blatant denial. Right? So that is, say, the act of suppressing someone or trying to kill okay. someone on discriminatory grounds, on the ground that you are uh, a, a Tutsi or a uh, Croat or whatever, right? Of a fundamental right, which is the right to life in the case that I'm using, the example that I'm using, laid down in international mm -hmm. customary treaty law, fundamental right is laid down in customary international treaty law, reaching the same level of gravity as other crimes against humanity. The act of killing is at par with genocide, is at par with mass murder, is at par with other crimes against humanity. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, war are acts of random killing. So, if your speech met these standards, then your speech could be prescribed. The trial chamber in Cordage ruled that hate speech not calling for violence did not meet prongs three and four. And what are prongs three and four? That if you're not calling for violence, if you're only expressing hate, then a fundamental right laid down in international customary or treaty law is not actually violated because you're not challenging the right to life. You're not denying the mm -hmm. right to life. Now, the problem in India, and for those who understand the right to life, right to life in India has become an umbrella to fit everything. Your environmental rights fit under uh, right to life. Some employment rights fit under right to life. The right to sell, uh, for hawkers to sell on the roadside fits under the right to life. This is not the sense in which right to life is being understood in this example or in the context of international customary and treaty law. Right to life in that example is largely about your bodily integrity. Mm -hmm. Right? Whether that is that is uh, illegal arrest or uh, to be kidnapped or whisked away in some way, or to be killed, maimed, hit, all the way up to being killed. And reaching the same level of gravity as other crimes against humanity, if there is no actual act of killing, there is no way in which you are reaching that actual standard of gravity. And so these two were not met. And so again, I'm trying to reiterate that this is in the context of a genocide where they say, you could be exercising hateful speech against a particular community, in the context of a current and existing act of genocide that is prevailing at that moment in time, right? And yet, it will not meet these standards. And I cannot prescribe it. And there is a similar judgment called Nahimana in the context of Rwanda. 
Okay. ICTR was Nahima. They also applied the same test and they also came to the conclusion that calls for violence are a requisite threshold and that mere hate speech does not meet the requisite threshold. So if you're calling for violence, it is a requirement. Mm -hmm. So the appeals chamber in that case, there is this very famous sentence that they use that this separation between hate speech simpliciters, they call it, which is hate speech just only expresses hate, an idea of hate. And hate mm -hmm. speech explicitly calling for violence through truisms such as speech, can, speech cannot in itself directly kill members of a group, imprisoned or physically injured. This is something you and I often say, that words by themselves do not commit these acts. And so therefore, the chamber says, you may be hating someone, but the word doesn't commit the crime. The person commits the crime, but crime is more important. If you had told that person to commit the crime, then your word suddenly becomes it. Got it. Right? And really at the core of all of this, I will also go through certain philosophical justifications in the context of American law as to why the American system has these justifications for, for a highly expansive system of hate speech. But really at the heart of it, as I understand it, hate is a legitimate sentiment. Hate is mm. a natural, legitimate human sentiment. Hate can be directed towards an individual. It can be directed towards a group. And it can be a feeding sentiment. Or it can be a long-term sentiment. It can be a settled sentiment. But hate by itself, while it may promote a separation between others, certain aspects of separation, mm. does not kill in itself. Very importantly, hate also does not necessarily entail that you cannot work with the target of your hate. You may nonetheless mm -hmm. interact with them because you're compelled to. You may interact with them economically, financially, personally. You may be talking to them from time to time. You may be working next to them shoulder to shoulder. And you may be unified in those activities. But you hate the person. Right? This is the complexity of human thought, human emotion, human sentiment. And you have to try to be able to capture this uh, sort of complexity in when you're setting a standard of law, because the law is where the penny drops. You may, in, in theorizing about things, in political leadership, in sociological understanding of, of life, in uh, a, a sort of more metaphysical statement of life, have a much more desultory view of hate. And you may fight hate in that sense. And that is perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Right? Your fighting on that hate is as protected as that person making the hate speech. But the law will not go that far. Because okay. once the law arrives, then things like imprisonment and impairment of various rights arrive. Okay. Got it. Now, I read this to you. And very interestingly, in Nahimana, which is uh, the Rwanda judgment of the appellate court that I cited to you right now. The mm -hmm. trial court had said hate speech simpliciter would also amount to an actionable persecution. That was overruled by the by the appellate court. Right? And at the heart of all of this lie three mm -hmm. cases 
that happened right after World War II. The entire law of hate speech originates after World War II. Before World War II, hate was a common subject. In fact, Europe dealt in hate. And it could not curtail that hate because European national boundaries were not settled. Right? So it is quite thematic to accept that Europe itself looks at a history where hate is what created nations, frankly speaking. Hate is what drove them to the boundaries they have today. But now they feel settled enough about their boundaries to say no more hate. Yeah, so basically, when I was doing it, I didn't want to do it, I didn't want to do it. This has to be the stupidest thing I've heard no, in it's my not, life. It's not but... that. It is that. It is in a sense that. But my point that I was driving at, and yet they fail. Because mm. Yugoslavia was in the heart of Europe. Yes. Right? Anti-Romani, anti-Gypsy hate is in the heart of Europe. Exactly. Anti-Semitic hate is in the heart of Europe. Right? So, and now... Especially anti-Semitic. Especially anti-Semitic. Yeah, and anti-immigrant hate now as well. It's in the heart of it. So this pretense can't be persisted. Hate is natural. It's a difficult thing to live with, but it is natural. So, I I will go through various philosophical bases for allowing it. This is my basis. I do not look at law or anything for that matter as a tool for conditioning humans out of something which is natural. It is near, I find that a near impossibility to be frank. You can alter behaviors that are learnt. But it is impossible to alter something which is fundamentally human. Right? And the best example I gave is, you remember when I started the free speech uh, podcast, I started by saying the fact that you can speak makes free speech the most natural right. You know, yeah, you know what I was going to say? <laughs> hey, hate speech so is sadly, self- love and like hate a human right. are integral yeah, parts yeah. of existence. They're integral yes. parts and of existence. If, you if cannot you have a right that you will only love and you will not hate. Yeah. It doesn't work. I, I get it. I get it. Basically, you have to accept hate as a part of human existence and you should not try to legislate it. Is that what you're now, trying to say? Now, that's step one. That should not by itself be enough. I'm saying also that hate at times brings into light behaviors that a forced love will not. Behaviors that are hurting society. There is a reasonable level of rationality to groups. I still abide by this. It may be a low level, low IQ rationality, but it is still rationality. It's a reasonable amount. As you and I often say, 70 IQ, 90 IQ, whatever the hell it may be, that's still a standard of reasonableness. Where people hate based on an observed trend around them. Yes. It is a myth, in my opinion, that people hate in vacuum. Which is really what those who propagate against hate speech say, saying, oh, look, WhatsApp messages are passed, people are hating each other. That's stupid. Mm. Okay, it's... A Polish joke has been cracked, so people in England hate Poles. Dave Chappelle cracks jokes about white people, trans, trans, 
transgenders. They were like, you're punching down on us. He cracks the best jokes on transgenders. He doesn't hate transgenders. He's observing. Right? But actual hate also tends to bring reflection into a larger mirror of society. And I will show you a case from India mm-hmm. taking you to both sides of that major Hindu-Muslim divide where a prominent political movement of India, which today is the dominant for decades political movement in a particular state in Tamil Nadu, the Dravidian movement, was based on hate of certain Hindu Hindu practices and Hindu behaviors. Mm-hmm. Right? But was seen as religious reform. Mm. So, similarly, reform is brought Hate, therefore, brings certain reform by way of shame. Right? So, it's to me, it's a two-pronged justification. One, it is too natural, you cannot suppress it. And two, it is reflective. That is, I'm not saying every hateful person is seeking a reflection. They may get carried away. But then the defense is that their words themselves are not killing anyone. And where killing arises... We are in a different field of legal application. Right? So this is first principles. Now let me go to the root of this. Okay. And the root of this is three very interesting cases that arose in the context of uh, World War II and the Nazis. And these are the cases of one Julius Stryker. The second is Hans Fritscher. And the third is Otto Dietrich. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a background from various materials that I picked up. So, Stryker was a German hero in a sense. He was born in 1885. He was part of the First World War. He was decorated. He then obviously joined the Nazi party. Uh, and he was so politically prominent that at one point in time, he was Hitler's rival. Right? But they sort of got together and Stryker became more subordinate, but he was extremely high up. High up to the point where uh, he was a general in the stormtroopers and a member of the Reichstag. And he also founded a a, a core at its heart, anti-Jewish newspaper uh, called the Durst Tumor. This was in 1923. This is 23, by the way. So we are looking at a person who has By the time he's being prosecuted, 20 odd years of propaganda behind him. Right? Uh, And this was, at its peak, it was read by about 6 lakh people in Germany, which a substantial number for Germany. Uh, And one of the prosecutors, this was a charge against him. I'll just read this. This comes from, this is this is a lovely book. Let me where I got a lot of this stuff from. Sometime later in the podcast, remind me, I'll show you the book. I think my copy is lying there. It's just, it's basically the Nuremberg trials. And it gives you a story of the entire tribunal and the politics behind them and the, and the law that they laid down. <clears throat> the full force and effect of Stryker's press propaganda on the masses is contained in an episode relating to the time when Stryker, as a gauleteer, delivered a Christmas story to the children of Nuremberg. Reaching the climax of his Yuletide tale, which concerned a little Aryan boy and a girl, a boy and girl, Stryker suddenly asked the children, "Do you know who the devil is?" 
and the little one shrieked in chaos, in, in chorus, the Jew, the Jew. Right? And the judgment says, for his 25 years of speaking, writing, and preaching hatred of Jews, Stryker was widely known as Jew Beta number one. So this is a man with a very high status within Nazi party. And obviously within the German propaganda machinery, he's right up there when it comes to Jew baiting. The judgment reviewed uh, a lot of his a lot of his uh, material and root and branch, and he sought root and branch annihilation of the Jewish people. In his speeches and articles, week after week, month after month, he infected German minds with the virus of anti-Semitism and incited the German people to active persecution. The judgment further specified that Stryker wrote, a, this is very, very important. Stryker wrote a good portion of these genocidal texts contemporaneous with Jews being liquidated in Eastern Europe. Right? And Stryker, the tribunal concluded, knew about the Nazi atrocities to the East when he published these articles. These are important elements. Again, we'll come back to hate speech. Somebody's got to be dying somewhere. Hmm. you got to know about it. And yeah. in that context, if you're speaking, that might be hate speech. But somebody's got to be dying somewhere. That's very important. Or if you take the modern standard, somebody's major fundamental right that is recognized by treaty law is being impaired. For example, the right to reside. For example, the right to employment. For example, the right uh, of protection from arbitrary arrest. Any of those. Mm -hmm. In this context, it is killing. But it could be any of those. But that's got to be happening. You've got to be aware of it. And then your propaganda has to be in support of it. The judgment concluded Stryker's incitement to murder and extermination at the time when Jews in the East were being killed under the most horrible conditions clearly constitutes persecution. We're back to that word. So we start with the concept of persecution in 45 when Nazis are being tried. And back in the 90s and 2000s, these judgments are still coming in 2020. Whether it is the ICTR or the ICTY, we are still looking at the concept of persecution. There is no independent concept of hate speech. And that is why when I read the UN document, the UN says, we don't know how to define hate speech. Because it's a mug's game. You can't define it. And this constitutes a crime against humanity. But these are important elements that he has a sustained period of propaganda. That period of propaganda correlates also to a phase during which in the eastern parts of Germany and in Eastern Europe, there were pogroms being conducted. These were actually, if I I recall correctly, from a deeper reading or judgment from when I was much younger. I read this stuff in 2002-2001. The pogroms that were being conducted were in Russia at that time, when, when the Russian invasion was on. And so the Russian, mm-hmm. they, they conducted massive pogroms in certain cities that they had, they had taken hold of before the Great Battle of St. Petersburg, where they lost finally in St. Petersburg and then they had to turn back and retreat, retreat and defeat. And that basically turned the war. But he was aware of those. And so his propaganda was seen as being supportive of that. So you have to still find some kind of blame. Now, Here's a very interesting acquittal, right? And so these are very principled tribunals, it would seem, on the face of it. There are are people being acquitted on a charge of propaganda. And that was a guy called Hans Frischer. Now, this guy uh, is born much later in life. He was also involved in World War I. And he turned to journalism, working as a correspondent with the Hamburg Press and as an editor for the Telegraph and Union. He then gained expertise in a new medium, which was radio at that time. 
times. He became a radio speaker and his voice was very famous in Nazi Germany. So you remember what I'm, and this radio theme, man, you think of mass killings through the 20th century, the radio has been such a vital tool, I can't begin to explain to you. Hmm. So it's, it's, this is one example. Radio Marti in Cuba was another example. And through Latin America was another example. Uh, and of course, Radio Rwanda, as I told you, RTLM. Uh, now, he joined in 1933, the staff of the Nazi propaganda machinery, a ministry, and by 38, he had risen to the chief of German press division. This is just before World War II. He becomes the chief of the German press division. And in this capacity, this guy has actually more control than even Stryker did, because he controls almost every journal, every journalist around the place. He has around 3,000 separate publications under his control because there is a lock, stock, and barrel control from the top, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the evidence against him, he espoused, obviously, the general policies of the Nazi regime, which aroused in the German people those passions which led them to the commission of atrocities. Now, I, you will notice a similar sentence was used in Stryker as well. Okay? Which aroused in the German people those passions which led them to the commission of atrocities. If this is all that they had on Stryker, even Stryker would have been acquitted. But Stryker, that important context of the pogroms in the East and his knowledge of them. The news doesn't travel so easily. His knowledge of them was very important. Right. The tribunal did not find Fritzsche guilty, though, because it concluded his Jeremiads against Jews did not directly urge their persecution and his position and official duties were not sufficiently important to infer that he took part in originating or formulating propaganda campaigns. Right. So his incitement to violence doesn't exist. There is no clarity of what, what his knowledge was, what, what wasn't. That was not placed on evidence. And really the only mm. charge against him is he is a large part of this general propaganda machinery. And this general propaganda mm. machinery indisputably is creating hate against the Jews. And that should be sufficient to prosecute him. Answer is no. Right? The, so that, that means, Nikhil, it raises a very high standard then. Of course it raises a high standard. Of course it raises a high standard. Because inherently, all legal systems realize what I was saying to you at the top. Hate is natural. Hate is also reflected. Now, take this scenario where the Jews are facing hate speech. If this was a robust democracy and the Jews are bringing hate speech back, the problem was it was all one side. If you can answer back, it causes even detestable reflection in the person who is listening. Hmm. But there's an basically, important element to this. So basically, reciprocity is a very important element. In that, this. And, and I'm going to come to that in the context of America. That is a very important basis for why America permits it. Right? What is this at the heart? The problem with what was happening in Germany is not merely the hate. The problem is the control of the state so that only one idea is propagated. 
exactly yes right and this is the fundamental objection against any limitation on free speech because the moment you start creating limitations on free speech you are inherently making choices choices that the state gets to make which means by definition you are centralizing truths jiski laathi uski bhains right so covid was a great example of centralized truths oh yes oh yes right and we've live seen that some of these truths are not holding up anymore oh yeah right so just giving you a sort of a, a a very robust argument for why free speech even in loathsome situations is important now what was not known and did not come into evidence is something that alexander hardy who was the uh, principal prosecutor in that tribunal said he said his work as the chief of german press division was far more important than the task of venting his golden voice later found press directives brought the light of fritsch's denials during his trial before the imt of knowledge of such crimes as the extermination of jews and atrocities in concentration camps he not only knew of them but played an important part in bringing them about had this evidence been clearly brought on record and proved he would have been prosecuted right but remember one thing yeah he is still being prosecuted for words only hmm you cannot prosecute for words in vacuum and this is what i was illustrating to you on part 1 this is the connection this is why i was saying maybe this will contextualize part 1 which is yes. 295a 153a prosecutions are actually prosecutions in vacuum hmm. because nothing bloody happens all right in 153a you might have prosecutions in the context of riots at times fair enough those are reasonable prosecutions mm-hmm. i can understand those but the rest of it is in just vacuum here we have the victors of the world war turning around and saying we won't prosecute a guy in vacuum except in the true tradition of international politics and international law there's a contradiction and that contradiction comes in the form of the case of otto dietrich okay the difference is dietrich is not tried by the international military tribunal of nuremberg imt which are some of the finest jurists in the world they are he is tried by a us military tribunal in their occupied part of germany in their occupied part of germany so a slightly different legal sir and please and this is 45 right we are still for uh so dietrich now he uh he had five charges against him okay uh and he was eventually convicted of only two charges which were crimes against humanity atrocities and offenses committed against civilian populations and membership in a criminal organization membership in a criminal organization is easy you're a nazi that's the end of that now he had substantial media activity much like striker uh and this judgment i remember hark back to that sentence that i kept saying was not enough for both striker and for would not have been enough for either striker striker of a fritscher 
which was that they aroused certain passions amongst the German population that led to a genocide. Right? Mm -hmm. That would not have been enough as a standard in the IMT, but here's what happens with the US tribunal. The defendant created, formulated, and disseminated inflammatory teachings which incited the Germans to the active prosecution of political and racial undesirables. Same concept. Hmm. Right? And it goes on to say, and other specified presented to the German people the rationale and justification for and the impetus to mass slaughter. That is the charge against him. That is what he gets prosecuted for. That is what he could not have been prosecuted for in any others in in in, in uh, the IMT, right? Now, if you look at all of your hate speech literature today, whether in Europe or in the US, you can literally say the entirety of this literature is a conflict between between Stryker on one side, Frischer somewhere in the middle, and Dietrich on the extreme other side. Where Dietrich would be sufficient for propaganda, for mass scale propaganda, and saying this is enough to constitute persecution. This is why often you see when some random idiot on the Hindu side, possibly even a member of the IT cell, goes off and says something hateful about Muslims. The charge that people bring, that try to bring, the ones who want to create uh, an environment of there is a genocide happening in India, they will mm -hmm. always use the word this is widespread, it is systemic, it is promoted by the government. Why? Because the statutes are such. So if you want to bring an international standard, you have to bring that standard first. That person can only be prosecuted for those words in the larger context of something systemic or widespread. Hmm. So if you go through the tweets of people like Rana, you periodically you will see the word widespread is frequently used. Maybe hmm. even the word systemic is frequently used, or constant, or yeah. continuous. You know, those are common words because there is a knowledge and an understanding of the standard that needs to be met. I was just thinking about it. The way these laws are structured, Nikhil, I don't know if you remember that communal violence bill that, that was introduced by UPA2 at one point of time, where in case of a riot, you know, only one community will be held liable. So in the case of free speech, then how do we manage this conundrum? Like always you hear uh, anti-Brahmin speech all the time. But... Uh, in, in that weird sense, I mean, uh, when it comes to speech in India, we already have our version of the communal violence bill in the speech laws, right? Because the SCST Atrocities Act in, in the form, clearly in the form of the SCST Act, the Atrocities Act. Yeah, yeah, I'll come yeah, to that. Right? I, 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 look, there is I, I, one of the people that I enjoy interacting with the most on Twitter is Reality Check India, uh, mm. and he's absolutely correct. There's an asymmetry. That asymmetry can't be beaten within speech laws the way they stand. Mm -hmm. The problem that he has and the problem that is a justification is the context of caste history creates 
this sort of blind spot where there is certain kinds of speech that we need to get rid of if we need to get rid of the practice itself mm-hmm. and that link needs to be explored further it's a lot like slavery language in the united states i'll get you into trouble or a lot like uh, pro nazi speech in parts of germany that will get you into a lot of trouble cultures tend to mm-hmm. have their blind spots even with high levels of free speech and and so this is this is i mean it comes back to the larger question again of you are now again centralizing the truth right and the us mm. does it the least it does it the least what do the wokes want they want to centralize mm. the truth right i'm not saying they're untrue i'm not saying they're right or wrong i'm saying they want that centralized control of it because they have deemed the other to be a lie and once that happens you get to be the liar but you have all the control right this is why there is a backlash there this is why they're so scared of elon musk because mm. that power of centralization has suddenly dissipated not that i think that past twitter was particularly bad i know people have very bad things to say about twitter overall but i think they're talking at fringes and margins it to a large extent twitter was an exceptional space on this I firmly believe this. I think all social media has been an exceptional space on the whole. But yes, on the fringes you have these problems, and in particular in the context of the 2020 election, there may be more of a problem. 2016 election may be more of a problem, but that's for America to handle. Yes. But I just want to finish uh, Dietrich. So this is he was found guilty on his conditioning of the German people for the final solution. which is it is us clear that a well thought thought out oft repeated persistent campaign to arouse the hatred of the german people against jews was fostered and directed by the press department and its press chief dietrich that part or much of this may have been inspired by gebels is undoubtedly true but dietrich approved and authorized every release the only reason for this campaign was to blunt the sensibilities of the people regarding the campaign of persecution and murder which was being carried out right so again they do also find a link to the fact that there are murders being carried out. and he must be aware of them and to some degree they're not saying it expressly they're not saying that his knowledge was essential but they are suggesting that he must have been aware these press and periodical directives were not mere political polemics they were not aimless expressions of antisemitism and they were not designed only to unite the german people in the war effort their clear and express purpose was to enrage the german people against the jews to justify the measures taken and to be taken against them and to subdue any doubts which might arise as to justice of measures of racial persecution to which the jews were to be subjected now there is a very big theory that the general german population was not aware of the depravity of the full depravity of the concentration camps they knew there are concentration camps really? they didn't know that there were gas chambers sir that's one of the theories so that's that's sort of the heart of what was happening uh throughout your sort of uh, world war post world war 2 era and this is the basis of all the jurisprudence that goes forward now remember th- th- there is a us military tribunal that decides dietrich's case but this is decided in 45 46 about 47 the true upheaval in us free speech first amendment law comes in the 60s mm but the crucial thing is it holds firm from there 
right? So we're talking about a 60-year holding of the principle of First Amendment at the highest possible bar. Hmm. Now, there was a very interesting conviction similarly. I'm, I'm going to take just a couple of cases. I want to set this all up. Then I'll come to the American standard and then I'll come to some of the Indian law. I think that's pretty much it for... But I think because I think this was really the purpose of this podcast to sort of introduce what the concept is because there is just far too much of, oh, I see X tweet, this is hate speech. Right? Hate speech has a very specific meaning, a very specific context. And that context is a larger persecution, a widespread persecution. Context is everything. Right. Of course, context is everything. The same words in a simple context are not uh, may not be destructive. That's the famous... Uh, example of shouting uh, fire without there being any fire in a in a theater and causing a stampede. You could shout fire in an open field and the same thing effect, same effect wouldn't occur. Right? So context is everything. Mm-hmm. Now there's this this is Rwanda, this is Africa, wherever there is a mess, there's a Belgian. Because there has always been a Belgian since imperial times in Africa who's been causing a mess. And there was a Belgian by the name of uh, Georges Rougia in uh, Rwanda who was prosecuted and he was he pled guilty on one count which is persecution in connection with broadcasts he had made on the rodeo which is radio which is radio television meal colleens and uh, they were incendiary this is what they say this is, so what what he actually did was what the, what the tribunal holds against them is those elements required for all crimes against humanity under the statute. That is, certain acts such as persecution when committed as a part of a widespread or systematic attack directed against any with knowledge of the attack, a gross or blatant denial of all of these elements were met. So this is what they say. The perpetrator must knowingly commit crimes against humanity in the sense that he must understand the overall context of his act. Part of what transforms an individual's act into a crime against humanity is the inclusion of the act within a greater dimension of criminal conduct. There is a larger, greater context of criminal conduct. Within that, Mm -hmm. you are acting. And that action, within that larger context, gives you a broader understanding of exactly what you are doing. The idiot who raves and rants against Muslims on Twitter doesn't have a larger context. He doesn't even know what he's doing. He's probably just mental. He's distasteful. Or... The Muslim who rants against Hindus is distasteful and doesn't have a general larger context. <coughs> Therefore, an accused should be aware of his greater dimension in order to be culpable thereof. So, this guy is found guilty. And similarly, there was the media case, there was a Kangara case in the ICTR. Uh, you know, this is sort of getting repetitive. I don't want to. I don't want to go into all of this. But there are three cases I will at a later point deal with and which are going to be from three separate jurisdictions, America, uh, Rwanda with the ICTR and Denmark to show you three different approaches, right? In the Yugoslavian tribunal, they are very unequivocal that hate speech not calling for action and on its own could not be the basis of crimes against humanity. They don't have any equivocation on this. They're unequivocal. That you actually need a call for violence. So they stick to the old, uh, the International Military Tribunal standard. So again, you know, 
all law is fiction. Take it from me, all law is fiction. Even religious law is fiction. Those laws that consistently withstand the test of time become more reliable. And that comes from patterned human behavior observed by people with experience and technical expertise who are able to examine very different fact situations in the context of larger principles that have been espoused in the past and to reaffirm those principles repeatedly in the context of newer fact situations. Right? So IMT's standard holds. But even IMT's standard did not require Stryker to say, go kill those Jews in Russia. Or go kill those Jews in the East. The American standard would require that. That's the variance. Was your direct call uh, with clear and imminent danger? Brandenburg was the state of Ohio. Yes. Yeah. So <clears throat> these judgments still stri- cite Stryker. And uh, hmm. now I'm going to come to a very important part of all of this, which is a comparative between, say, America and other jurisdictions. I'm then going to go into the four principal uh, justifications in America for why they are distinct and they are different. And let's be clear, America, you may want to, you want, you may want to treat the United States of America as the gold standard. Others may not. But whatever else it is, it is a unique standard. Nobody else follows quite that standard. You may still have highly permissive speech. And I'll be clear about this. In Europe, you will often have statute that is possibly narrowly drafted, but action is rarely taken under. Hmm. I mean, honestly, America is the best standard, according to me. But I I get my my job today is to not centralize that truth, is to only present the various elements of it, and then people can choose for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, so, people, I, uh, uh, if it went to the tiny coterie of Twitter, they'll go by the North Korean standard. <laughs> no, so, I, you know, for all of that, overall, I think Indian Twitter is quite vibrant. Uh, and it does <clears throat> take into its fold quite a lot of everything, you know. Um, mm. It depends on who you're looking at. And of course, that means there'll be idiots galore and there'll be good stuff galore. But generally, it sort of works. The problem that arises in India is not Indian Twitter and Indian Twitter RT, it's the Indian state. But suddenly says, oh, this tweet is problematic to me. I mean, I, I'll cover in that context, you know, the new sort of charges that are coming against our friend Mohammed Zubair. You remember the original charge was that Hanuman tweet, Hotel Hanuman tweet, which is quite a bizarre charge to place in the first instance. And was shot to pieces by the Supreme Court. Now they found nine other tweets away which are from the past. And they're now trying to draw something thematic. While there is nothing going on. See, that larger context is missing. So you cannot call it hate speech. Right? But this is India's tendency that we must take the narrowest possible understanding of a statute in the way in which it is drafted. And so if you this is your mentality, then this is the problem you arise with. But in that context, culture is so important. That is perhaps our culture. And I think Mm. it is an underdeveloped understanding of rights. And that is why our culture is what it is in relation to those complaints. Whereas the American culture is slightly different. It is is 200 years old. And the point is from its inception, it was more of a libertarian culture. It was more a Locke and Rousseau and Hobbes culture than than we have been, right? 
we inherited speech controls from the Brits and we carried them forward. And we accepted and internalized to a large degree. But three cases to compare. Brandenburg, I'm going to quickly go through this. Brandenburg was uh, basically the leader of a local Ku Klux Klan chapter in Ohio. And he was invited to uh, he invited a certain radio broadcaster to come to his to come to his uh, television broadcaster, who then broadcast a lot of his speeches, and uh, those speeches contained predictable ad hominem against various groups, particularly uh, African Americans, Jews, you name it, uh, and white supremacist language. Right now, Ohio had a criminal syndicalism statute, syndicalism statute, which prohibited advocating. The duty, necessity, or propriety of crime, sabotage, violence, or unlawful methods of terrorism as a means of accomplishing political reform. And what he had said, this is very important. We are not a, this is the way he said, we are not a revengeant organization. But if our president, our Congress, our Supreme Court continues to suppress the white Caucasian race, it's possible that there might have to be some revengeance taken. These are exact words. That's why the errors in the use of the word revenge. So this was said to be a direct violation of the statute because the statute said that you cannot call uh, for the propriety of crime, sabotage, violence, or unlawful methods for political reform. And he was sentenced to a year in prison, $1,000. Fine. The Supreme Court turned around, struck all of this down, and it said... The constitutional guarantee of free speech and free press do not permit a state, and these are very important words, this come back, comes back to centralization of the truth, permit a state to forbid or prescribe advocacy or the use of force, advocacy of the use of force or of law violation except where such advocacy is directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action and is likely to incite or produce uh, such action. Sorry, this was not about centralization of the truth. This is about the standard of violence, right? And one of the justifications, and we'll go back, you can go back, you can perhaps link to the old free speech podcast as well, that one of the judges had used was, if I don't use this standard, then I am centralizing the truth. Because if I use the standard of saying, is violence imminent or possible, I'm replacing my judgment with actual events. And I cannot do that. And so, therefore, this standard must apply. And please remember, this is the decade of the 60s. And this comes late in the 60s, perhaps in 68, this judgment. This is a decade in which there were eight major political assassinations in the United States. Mm-hmm. So, this might seem like a very simple statement that, that uh, it's possible that there might, may, there might have to be some revenge taken. But in the context of 60s America, this was a big statement. Because there was political violence everywhere. I mean, this is when... A, a sitting president was shot dead. Martin Luther King was shot dead. Malcolm X was shot dead. It was, and this is all white and black violence. Yeah, this right. was Robert Kennedy was shot dead. Martin Luther mm-hmm. King was shot dead. So, in that context, for the Supreme Court to come out with a standard was a point of principled belief that if we don't do this today, we are going to create centralized controls. Whereas they looked at America as a country in which so many minority groups are speaking up in ways in which they have not spoken up before. So we can't have this kind of control. And they therefore, they, when they write a judgment, do not give lectures of, oh my God, what will happen to a minority as, as often happens in our Supreme Court judgment. They simply stick to the principle. We can't centralize the truth. 
Now, in contrast to this, is a very famous case that came from Rwanda. And uh, this is a guy called Leon Mugusera. The Mugusera case is very famous. You guys can Google it. You can read about it. Uh, he had said during a political rally in Rwanda in November 1992, this is when the genocide is commencing, I'm telling you in relation to the Tutsis, the Tutsis, again, are the victim group of the Rwandan genocide. I'm telling you that your home in Ethiopia, telling you that your home is in Ethiopia, that we will send you by the river Nyamarango so that you can get there quickly. That's really a speech saying that your dead body will float up the river. Mm. He continued with other words and so on and so forth, but in... He then, when the when the genocide ended in '94, this is by the way '92 genocide commences. '94, uh, he had already migrated to Canada in '93. In 1996, a Canadian adjudicator concluded that and this is this is Canadian standard of speech. Sorry, not not ICTR but Canada and Canadian Supreme Court judgment. A Canadian adjudicator concluded that Mugusera's speech constituted an incitement to murder, hatred, and genocide and a crime against humanity. Recall those four standards that I have spoken of. That you are literally obliterating a human right. That is what the standard of speech was. right? Under American law, this speech would not have met this standard. What does the Canadian Supreme Court say? Something that you just said, which is context is everything. And it says... <clears throat> It, his speech was interpreted in the context of Rwandan history of the Tutsi massacres and that the Tutsi immigration from Ethiopia to Rwanda. In earlier massacres, the Tutsi had been killed and their bodies thrown into the Nyamarango River, which runs through Rwanda to Ethiopia. Thus, Mugusera's request that Tutsi return to Ethiopia by way of the Nyamarango River, unnavigable by boat, was interpreted as a call for the former, which is basically killing them again and throwing them into the Right, so an inference is drawn. That inference, American law will not draw. Yeah, the American law will be like uh, we cannot uh, because they have not mentioned the specific uh, the, the the lack of specificity creates the problem. And the Canadian, uh, this was the other uh, or whatever you have, uh, use uh, law uh, would draw the inference by themselves. This is a, based this on is a deportation law. It was a deportation law, so he was deported from Canada. Hmm. And then there is a case called Jersild in Denmark. Jersild is very interesting. It's almost like a replica of Brandenburg. Jersild is a journalist. right? In Brandenburg, it was the Ku Klux Klan guy that was prosecuted. In Jersild, it was a journalist as well who was prosecuted. He basically called a bunch of uh, anti-immigrant people. This is a news for, for, a, for a news channel called the Sun, news for a magazine called the Sunday News Magazine, which prides itself on opposing xenophobia. Right? But they said, in order to understand xenophobia, you've got to speak to people who are actually committing acts of xenophobia. And so, this journalist, Jens Olaf Jersil, uh, set up a television interview with three representatives of the group called the Green Jackets. During the interview, the Green Jacket members made abusive and derogatory statements about immigrants and ethnic groups in Denmark. After being asked by Jersil if they were racist, one of the Green Jackets responded, yes, 
that's what i regard myself as it's a good it's good being a racist we believe denmark is for the danes and mm-hmm. he stated immense admiration for the ku klux klan he said that because blacks are not human beings we want them out as well uh you can also see from their body structure blah 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 and after being asked what the kkk meant to him he said it means a great deal because i think what they do is right uh blacks are not human beings they're like animals that goes for all the other foreign workers as well turks yugoslavs and whatever they are jersel and his program controller les jensen were also convicted for aiding and abetting the three jackets by conducting and broadcasting the right no call for violence forget about violence it's they shot the messenger with it ye to guilt by association ho gaya yeah they completely shot the messenger with it. right and so i when you when you look at those three judgments you look at the american standard being so broad uh and there is a famous american philosopher legal philosopher by the name of ronald dworkin and dworkin has a four principled approach to why free speech must be as high a standard as the first amendment sets up and the first of these principles is an argument of fairness which is that democracy is based on majority rule but there is nothing inherently right in majoritarian counting heads principle majority decisions can be wrong and they can be unfair we must provide opportunities for minorities to challenge majority decisions it is fair to hear all opinions especially those that words uh that word that wish to affect society at large being wrong of course is not the prerogative only of the majority minorities might be wrong as well the argument of fairness is presented in general terms right notwithstanding the content of speech so what is the first idea of the first amendment breadth and amplitude is it's a level playing field for all yes you can say what you want to i can say what i want to i may hate you you may hate me and we both get the same level of protection yeah and, we, and that is why a lot of american yeah. case law now moves towards saying in the context of twitter this is why in the context of this principle this is why shadow banning is such a big problem right because shadow banning is selection of certain ideas acha aur shadow acha ek aur agar mere if you don't mind me asking a question here nikhil boxing डॉक्सिंग किस में आएगा अभी मैं तेरे को एक कॉन्क्रीट एग्जाम्पल तो वो फ्री स्पीच को किस एंगल से कर ये जो आजकल लोग डॉक्स कर देते हैं किसी ने ये जो बेचारा हिंदू मुस्लिम कपल था उनका शादी का कार्ड डाल दिया वो बंदे ने पागल के जैसे तो दैट इज नॉट अलाउड ना अंडर इवन अमेरिकन फ्री स्पीच लॉज ना I, I I wouldn't know. I mean, if there's a privacy statute, that may not allow it. But really speaking, isn't the wedding card published in any event? No, but if you put it on social media and put it on the internet, because your number is shared, the place of property address is shared, and all that is shared. Yeah, so that that violates Twitter rules generally. Oh. So this this is there is. there are some there must be some rule under the it act that would fit that somebody wants to file a complaint after them to do it uh not the kind of thing i would want to send someone to jail you know it's like there needs to be a rap on the knuckles there needs to be clear rules there needs to be deletion of all of this and deletion 
an so there, you know, the Delhi High Court often passes orders on the right to be forgotten, which are directions to major owners of platforms like Google, like YouTube, etc., to completely delete certain data from the internet so it can't be traced again, or at least not easily traced, unless you're some tech genius and you can keep tracing, and that's a different matter. Anyway, that's the first principle. So it's, it's a fairness principle, which is to establish a fair standard for everybody. Everybody must be able to speak. Right? right. And the criticism of it is that fairness is a great concept, but access to speech is not the same for everyone. Right? But in a wealthier country, as it grows, that access, that disparity of access actually changes. But the disparity of access was one of the principal arguments on which the woke movement was developed. Or on which various racial movements have developed. But when they did develop and they acquired the space, they could not be curtailed, whatever be the statement they're making. Okay. Right? How do you, for example, and, and so when I, I do not use the word woke in the same pejorative sense in which a lot of people do, because I think the way the word is being used today, there's an overbreadth to this definition that doesn't comport with what the actual intention was originally. But if you are going to oppose slavery and the effects of slavery, or pernicious effects of slavery and that mentality into in American legislative history, even today, maybe into American housing law, etc. How do you do it without expressing the hate? Mm -hmm. Right. So this is, again, an example of what I said earlier. Hate is reflective. Mm. It causes reflection among society. Mm. Uh, the second argument is... That of responsibility. He argues, so Dawkins says that the community as a whole has obligations of impartiality towards members and that public officials act as agents for the community in exercising that responsibility. I mean, as an Indian, wouldn't that be lovely to think that your public officials actually act as your agent? Other than your prime minister who calls himself as the Pradhan Seva, you've seen how our ISO officers, etc. deal with general citizenry. They don't look at themselves as agents of the citizenry. They, they look at themselves as delivery mechanisms for an agenda-based government. So they don't recognize this same concept, which is the argument of responsibility, that your first responsibility is, in fact, impartiality. Right? So dem democratic officials act in the name of the community of which all we are all members, bearing a responsibility we all share. He has emphasized time and again the importance and moral value of social responsibility. Responsibility seeks coherence and integration. Responsibility requires that we will be true to ourselves as well as to others. Now, it sounds very ideal, but, mm. you know, it doesn't quite work in reality in the same way. There are biases, there are partialities that arise. But broadly speaking, if this is the law you keep enforcing, then you may not get to 100% perfection on the principle. You get to 75, 80%. And that's a fair thing. It's a huge thing. And you, so you start creating these impartialities, right? And these impartialities don't just extend to a free speech argument. They extend, for example, in any kind of dole of public goods or any kind of reach out of public goods. <clears throat> Anything else you think is left to be covered? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His next argument, third argument is political legitimacy. Uh, Free speech is the price we pay for political legitimacy, no matter how foul and vicious the hate mongers' speech is. So he says, it is as unfair to impose a collective decision on someone who has not been allowed to contribute to the moral environment by expressing his political or social convictions, 
or tastes or prejudices informally as one as on someone who pamphlets against the decision were decision were destroyed by the police so he said as one whose sorry as one whose pamphlets against the decision were destroyed by the police so he's essentially saying that political legitimacy demands that everybody is involved in the process if you limit certain kinds of speech you are excluding certain people from the process right this is why often you see me defending the ovc brothers quite stringently on this aspect of free speech they need to be heard as well right they will also cause reflective behavior in you first the problem with our uh, uh, the problem with what we confuse as hate is actually an iq problem with us which is we keep talking about the medieval era right so they'll keep saying we were rulers for so long and you'll keep saying you were oppressors for so long and it doesn't really matter what you're looking at today right so let's take a really hateful kind of seemingly hateful kind of subject which is today's subject which is say love jihad hmm right both sides have a very important say in this because the two counter arguments are and they they and and I'll, and I'll deal with the hateful elements of them one which is to say that you are <clears throat> that love jihad is a tool for oppression of the kafir right mm. and the counter they gave is we're sorry muslim men are simply more attractive right when you clash these two ideas there is reflectiveness on both sides on on the first side that this is a a hate driven agenda and a subjugating agenda and on the other it is not quite that muslim men are more attractive but there is more reflective reflectiveness on the fact that perhaps there are more hindu women in public uh, in the public domain access, accessing public spaces more generally than muslim women and perhaps their liberty levels are higher perhaps they're there so you can from this hate you can infer quite a lot and it's important to therefore hear these ideas do not expect average common people to speak high principles perfectly it can't happen they will speak them in the idiom that they understand right and <clears throat> a very interesting argument he makes in relation to hate speech he says hate speech is the price we pay for enforcing anti discrimination laws we can legit we can legitimize such laws by allowing free de- free debate that includes hate speech this goes to the point you were raising in relation to the atrocities act hmm. yes yes the atrocities act that their debate is called but debate per se around it is not called the hate emanating that may be natural to it is called but by the way sorry uh, ju- just just to mention one thing this is one more point of why wokeism will not destroy india because india may free speech laws be premier woke principle of uh, punching up punching down ke base mein bana hua hai ha paar kar chuke hain hum alag level ke log hain and his final argument is self government that's kind of self explanatory which is that uh, free speech must be part of any defensible self government because self government requires free access to information equality of importance government is not legitimate unless all those coerced have had an opportunity to influence collective decision so if you can't speak up there is no legitimacy to the government that is standing in front right so this is really 
uh, one important part I'm going to rush through now because I cover a couple of things under Indian law, which uh, generally I, I, I go to Indian law for, for hilarity and humor. So that's what happens. <laughs> shit we do is another level. Uh, but there's something please, very important please, I want to bring out. Please, please respect our great law, laws. Uh, it's it, so there is a there is a, a autobiography written by Dr. Sleeman Asteen called Dvi Khandita. This was published around 2004, and the government in Calcutta, immediately in West Bengal, immediately issued orders under Section 95 CRPC and forfeited the book. So any owner had to forfeit the book. One of the owners moved to move the High Court. High Court wrote three separate judgments, resounding judgments, excellent judgments. Uh, upholding the right of the author, right? But there is an important standard that they set up in relation to 295A. And I'm going to explain that this standard is excellent, but when you keep seeing the kind of prosecutions that keep, people keep coming up with, the kind of complaints that police come up with, it's bizarre, which is the expression deliberate and malicious. So, so 295A requires deliberate and malicious statements. And, mm. right, so the and is conjunctive. That means it has to be both deliberate and malicious. Which means what? Mm -hmm. Which means if I tweet something, I am deliberate, but I may not be malicious. So in this case, Taslima Nasreen writes a book that is extremely offensive to Muslims. She is deliberate in the publication of it, but she is not malicious because she is writing for the cause of women. So she has an oblique consideration apart from that religion, which is the more important consideration. So you have to be able to create the value system where you say that consideration rises above the religious sensibility. Whereas when you look at the police, when they look at 295A, they say this rises above everything else because we must maintain public order. <laughs> but your case law Basically, is going in another direction. Police is police does what they want to do. I don't know how else to say it. So I'll, I'll just read a little bit of it, okay? Huh. The expression deliberate and malicious is indicative of the intention of the legislature, the conjunction and conjoins both. It must be both deliberate and malicious that is deliberately malicious. If it is made knowingly but with an intention, not deliberate nor malicious, but with an intention oriented by clinching or revitalizing or striking a blow for the well-being of the society or for the emancipation of women, which is necessary for mankind, in that event such outraging of religious feelings or insult to religion or religious belief, though may be intentional but cannot be termed deliberate and malicious, even if it is not made unwittingly, even if it is not made unwittingly or carelessly. So you can be deliberate in hurting religion when you have a higher value to, uh, to protect. If it is inflicted in good faith by an author in his or her endeavor to, or object to facilitate some measure on social reform by administering such a shock to the followers of the religion as would ensure notice being taken by any criticism so made, it would not attract the mischief of 295A by reason of the phrase deliberate and malicious. Right? So much, yeah. And very similar that there was a investigation that was on the posting of intimate images of Lord Krishna and Radha on Facebook. This is also in, uh, which was influenced by Gita Govinda uh, of Jayadeva's great poem, Gita Govinda. And uh, the Facebook post in a specified group, what is namely Akhidar Adda could not be treated as an offense under 295A. For reasons that are similar because they had an artistic intent. Uh, expressing opinion with regard to temple restoration 
cannot attract to 95A. And then there are, I'm going to end with the DMK judgment, but before that, I've got a, I promised you hilarity, I will give you hilarity. Guess the most famous cricketer to have ever had a 295A FIR against him. Honestly, Mujeri Pata. Sachin Tindulkar? Dhoni. 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 So, so the complainant in that case had purchased a monthly business magazine and was disappointed with the main page of the magazine which carried a painting painted with the photo of the petitioner with the caption, God of Big Deals. That's the cover page of India Today. (laughs) Tony, in some kind of godlike frame, it said God of Big Deal. By the way, this went to the Supreme Court, right? This is what I mean by process is punishment. So Dhoni doesn't get arrested because he's so big, but he's got to shell out a fair amount of money to get all the way to the Supreme Court. Dhoni ke lawyer ki to maje? Uh, there was description underneath which had the characters of some advertisement, as is discernible from the complaint. Uh, police initially decided not to register it. I mean, I'm amazed. Police had the wisdom to not. But the uh, magistrate saab the kahin pe apne Calcutta mein unhone kar diya. He allowed. Anyway, obviously, up in a long five-six page judgment, our great CJI at that time, very nice man by the way, Deepak Mishra was very unfairly harmed. Oh, well, not unfairly harmed. I mean, he had he had grazed him, but but a very liberal judge by his outlook. Uh, says that this is the kind of rubbish that doesn't fall under 295 because it is not deliberate and malicious, none of those things. But this is the kind of thing that police or magistrates take up because this was not the only case that originated from this one advertisement. Arun Puri had to go and get bail and a third guy had to go and get bail as well. It's, it's an absurdity of a very high level. Ramji Lal Modi, and there is another judgment under 153 that set up very similar standards, which is deliberate and malicious. It has to have that kind of standard. But like I keep saying, the police will the police will come and uh, set up FIRs for nothing, right? So take Munawar Faruqi. Munawar Faruqi is joking. It's humor. And perhaps in his humor and his jokes are certain reflections about Hindu society. Maybe he's one-sided, he's biased, he's about Hindu society, right? The problem that we end up facing is the monopoly on violence that Islam possesses. And that's what causes the disparity in the application of the law. And that's what causes a certain uh, burst in the number of cases about Hindu uh, sensitivities. And, and that, that's a very bad path to be going down. And you cannot say it is baseless because we've just been through the certain Sajuda movement, movement, but events where so many people. Six to seven people lost their lives. They lost their lives not for actually saying anything, but merely even accepting what Nupur Sharma said. Right? So you would, by any standard of speech, then look at those Sartan Sajuda uh, chants and say, these must fall afoul of any free speech. Because they are proven to be incitements to violence. Uh, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but there's a judgment in 1958 of the Supreme Court. Uh, three judges, 
excellent, well-reasoned judgment on the validity of the Dravidian movement and the fact that they That this was actually 295 and 295A both. And he had smashed a Ganesha figure. And they nonetheless, I'm not going to go too deep into this today, but they nonetheless said that in the context of what he was trying to do as a social movement, this was perhaps permissible. It was not malicious in that same sense. Yeah, Hamari courts not allowed. We were wiser in the 50s and 60s than we are today. Or either uh, uh, Prophet Muhammad could draw any karsakte, other to ding dong ho jati hai. But wo street veto. So, like I said last time when we were uh, discussing this, the problem with all of this is that we are unable because of the police to truly deal with, with the, the street veto. There is a very worthy law commission report which is report number 267 from March 2017. That has pretty much gone to the dust. And it has some very bizarre sort of interpretations of what 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 should be uh, free speech. And in their effort to find solutions, there is, they say there is a need to revise and strengthen the existing anti-discrimination legislation so as to meet universal standards on equality across all groups, communities, men and women. Yes. What I read to you earlier says to me they have not understood international law. Obviously they have not they understood. Don't. Obviously, right? they don't. Law should be adopted to punish incitement to hatred that may result in violence, hostility, and discrimination. They don't understand the meaning of the word violence, hostility, and discrimination has to come in that larger context that mm-hmm. I kept talking about. They should be implemented in a non-selective, non-arbitrary, and transparent manner. No problem with that. Religious minorities, parliamentarians should be enabled to raise issues relating to freedom of expression and religion and the intersection of these rights in the parliament and other platforms. All instances of violations of freedom of expression in the context of religion and incitement of hatred resulting in violence should be condemned and prevented. Fight against hate speech cannot be isolated. It should be discounted, discussed on a wider platform such as the United Nations. (laughs) The law... (laughs) The, the law commission is concerned about the United Nations. Every responsible uh, government, regional bodies, and other international regional actors should be. I mean, this is a cut and paste job from bad articles. I can promise you. That. I know how these things are written, man. I see. All I can tell you is, India is the woke hell hole the world wanted to create. It is just that nobody knew these things were happening with original ideas in India without any help from any outside area. What what the world should be worried of is what will India give to the world in form of these horrible ideas, which our so, law commission writes. On the basis of this, on the basis of this, of their report, they suggest the insertion of a new 153C. Okay. <laughs> prohibiting, prohibiting incitement to hatred. Whoever on grounds of religion, race, caste, or community, sex, gender identities, this is 2017. We're already on gender identity, sexual orientation, right? So we you're right. We are so far ahead of the woke side because what we get are these LLM graduates from these universities who are like, 
<coughs> uses gravely threatening words. Gravely, gravely. gravely. Right? Hi, hi. Why? Hi, because hi, the hi. gravity standard existed possibly in ICTR, they must have read that. Gravely threatening words, either spoken or written, signs, visible uh, representations within the hearing or sight of a person with the intention to cause fear or or alarm. <laughs> <laughs> स्पोकन that causes incitement to violence no problem with that and a new section 505 whoever uses words or displays any writing sign or other visible which is which is gravely threatening or derogatory within the hearing or sight of a person causing fear or alarm so they've got this gravely threatening and causing fear or alarm as their standard it's an absurdity i can't say more मतलब अगर ये लॉ अप्लाई हो गए ना तूने पहले बोला था सेवेंटी परसेंट हंड्रेड परसेंट सोशल मीडिया सारे लोगों को जेल में डाल दो या एक कंट्री को है ना एक जेल डिक्लेयर कर दो इंडिया को एक बहुत बड़ा जेल बना दो My client was allowed. Like <laughs> <laughs> actually, what? 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 क्वेश्चंस फटाफट आंसर करते हैं सारे क्वेश्चंस देख ये तो पहले ही क्वेश्चन तूने आंसर दे दिया है कि सरतन से जुदा देन मे नॉट बी प्रोसिक्यूटेबल अंडर हेड स्पीच बिकॉज इट इज ओपन टू इंटरप्रिटेशन विद रेफरेंस टू कॉन्टेक्ट एंड हु सेज इट वेल देर आर टू सेपरेट थिंग्स अगेन आई एम ट्राइंग टू पॉइंट आउट दैट दैट हेड स्पीच लॉ इन इंटरनेशनल स्टैंडर्ड इज अबाउट अ लार्जर कांसेप्ट ऑफ प्रोसिक्यूशन बट इन द डोमेस्टिक स्टैंडर्ड you can have individual situations which are pure incitements to violence right so and direct and immediate and it is proved to be direct and immediate because we've seen it happen now let me take a counter example supposing there is a procession of muslims who are agitated about a larger issue say caa they're very valid to protest against it for example and in the midst of that they have a general chanting of sartan sajuda that would not be action तुझे बोल रहे कि आप प्रडिक्शन दीजिए निखिल मेहरा जी क्या होगा इस दुनिया में 
Yeah, neither do I think. People don't realize how much Americans like free speech. ये लोग क्या है वो थोड़ा बहुत ट्विटर का देखते हैं इनको एहसास नहीं है कि उधर उधर एक फर्स्ट अमेंडमेंट और सेकेंड अमेंडमेंट वो दोनों चीजों के लिए बंदूकें निकल जाएंगी उस देश में वो लोग नहीं करने देते हैं वो लोग बहुत ही अजीब किस्म के लोग हैं उस मामले में they started that process very slowly they have to really watch and examine and and, and be very careful about free speech before they could do anything about it exactly exactly got it okay next question is calling every interfaith relationship love jihad then be considered hate speech towards a community i don't think it's hate speech towards a community it doesn't need to be hate speech stupidity can be a good enough charge by itself calling it stupid calling every interfaith relationship love jihad is stupidity in my opinion do, do you think our law commission will now come up with a new recommendation <laughs> well, i mean I, i i have no doubt that when something like this is said there are multitudes of people who are gravely threatened and alarmed oh, it's just mind blowing i mean kya bole theek hai ओके okay, ये ना एक कॉन्टेक्स में क्वेश्चन पूछा गया था जब दिस इज लाइक व्हेन पीपल वर लिसनिंग टू यू सो कुड दिस लॉ बी यूज्ड टू प्रोसिक्यूट हु हैव थ्रेटेंड नुपुर शर्मा एंड हर फैमिली विल इट बी गुड इनफ टू हैव अ गुड केस इन फ्रंट ऑफ अ लिबरल जज वो बेसिकलीजुअल there are enough sections of the ipc that deal with a death threat a death mm-hmm. threat is not hate speech it is a death threat it's a different kind of uh item okay theek hai abhi yahi person ne ek aur question pucha hai nikhil mentioned uh, wo jo tune ek judgment padhi thi na jisme kind of guilt by association ya platforming ka bhi thoda angle jaisa lag raha tha to kisi ne pucha nikhil mentioned about podcast hosts also getting accused in promoting racism and hatred then in that case ye recently wo jo ias officer tha na jisne wo sita aur ram ke wo jo upar ajeeb kism ke sita aur bhagwan ram ke upar jo ajeeb kism ke comment mare the aur baad mein apne aap ko bachane ke liye book pad raha tha ye kar raha tha then in that case lallan top ne uska interview kiya tha can lallan top as a interviewer also be accused I mean, I wasn't talking about Indian law. Under Indian law, you will have a uh, uh, fair and fair number of protections. For that, for Lalan Top, you'll have fair number of protections. Got it. Got it. Got it. ठीक है. Okay. अभी एक और question है. तो चल मैं तेरे को पूछता हूँ. Is there a law where anyone showing any kind of support for say rapists be penalized irrespective of the person belonging to any party? For example, ये बिल्किस बानो या बहुत सारे केसेस होते हैं सो कैन इंडियन लॉल्सो प्रिवेंट दैट आई मीन अगेन आई डोंट सी हाउ सो यू कैन पास अटैच्यूट बट आई डोंट थिंक पास मास्टर आई डोंट थिंक इट विल मीट द स्टैंडर्ड ऑफ नाइनटीन वन एन टू 
um again it is very disappointing kujal i do a podcast where i try to establish the most liberal possible standard of free speech and the questions that are coming in are saying can i find a way to restrict this even more can i find a way to restrict this even more? can you give me an idea to restrict this even more yeah but it it's it's okay log jo prashn puch rahe hai apne ko unko deal karna hai no, no, abhi so ek aur the, so the question i understand you are talking about rape as being a uh uh heinous crime and any support for rapists therefore being a support for the crime itself i don't see speech Haan. in that man magar yaar ye kitna dangerous hai to fir wo jo uh, guilty to pehle se hi aapne declare kar diya abhi abhi jaise koi uh... that's right even he's not been proved guilty of a rape as yet but oh. in the but they but the so defense attorney kya karega defense attorney kya karega no they have been in the context of bilkis banwaring that's what the example is that bilkis banwar is a case where convictions already happened and if you are talking in support of these people is this really an act of violence against women by words right and while it may be all I, what i this why i was very careful in the beginning to point out that there is the law is a very difficult thing was that law is where the penny drops therefore you you put it at the edges the, these are loathsome things these are bad things but they can be dealt with with counter messaging within society you don't need the law to come into this ओके हमारे इंडिया में ना जब भी धरना लगता है ना तो सबसे पहले ये आता है इसके बारे में कानून बनना चाहिए बहुत कानून है यार कोई प्रॉब्लम नहीं अच्छा लास्ट क्वेश्चन है ये अच्छा क्वेश्चन है व्हाट अबाउट कल्चरल परसिक्यूशन ऑफ ज्यूज इन यूरोप एंड वायलेंस अगेंस्ट देम इंक्लूडिंग नाजी वायलेंस कैन दिस बी ट्रीटेड एज हेट स्पीच डज हेट स्पीच लॉ लुक इनटू कल्चरल एंड हिस्टोरिकल रीजंस एब्सोल्युटली इट डज आई गिव यू एन एग्जांपल लाइक द कैनेडियन जजमेंट looked at the specific use of the river in relation to tutsis to say that that particular speech symbolized the the throwing of dead bodies in an unnavigable river that would lead to ethiopia right that's what context is all about and i can tell you this in france in germany in places like that if you try to sell nazi memorabilia you can be arrested Mm. Or if there's a web page that sells Nazi memorabilia, it can be pulled down. So there is historical context there, but <laughs> that does not mean that all criticism of Jews is anti-Semitism, and that's where the sort of gap lies. Mm. And it, it, this is why America is so unique, man. America is literally the exception to the free speech norm. Like the world not, has restrictions. It's not just the exception; it's the only one where you can therefore find consistency of jurisprudence. Therefore, mm. because it is the only bright line standard. Yes, which is why it's it's the best standard uh, as far as whatever standards we have in this world. Like when every time I listen to you and whatever I try to read. and you know i i read this uh, book recently um thode din hi hue mere ko padke matlab mahina mahina bhi nahi hua hoga mujhe lagta hai padke wo book ko it was on the history of uh, free speech it was a very good book it was called when freedom speaks the boundaries and boundlessness of our first amendment right by lin green uh, green key अच्छी बुक थी इट वॉज इंटरेस्टिंग इट शोज केस हिस्ट्रीज एंड हाउ द जर्नी ऑफ फ्री स्पीच इन अमेरिका इट्सिंग कंट्री एंड यूरोपन एक्सपेरिमेंट बट चलो आई थिंक वी कवर्ड एवरीथिंग बट बिफोर वी रैप इट अप तेरी और कोई लास्ट विशेष है ऐसी कोई और लॉ कमीशन की क्या विशेष होनी है 
the the courts have been now very good on granting bail i and and in uh quashing cases for example justice chandrachud is now chief justice of india was on the bench when a case was quashed against arnab goswami again a 295a case you know what it was in the context of this was in the context of the palghar uh, lynchings where he had said sonia gandhi is silent she wouldn't have been if this was a padre or a molvi that was raised as a 295a issue it quashed that right and it's a very it's a very evocative judgment on saying you have to be able to speak openly Mm. so my view generally with indian courts is when the top court starts taking a more liberal view that starts to filter down samajh gaya samajh gaya let's so let's hope for the best here i mean this is a constant struggle no, in see, india hoping for the best only means kushal that because our standards in our law is such we will always be riddled with inconsistencies Mm. there will always be preferences until and unless theoretically conceptually these two ideas are drilled into the indian populace one that any kind of speech controls are not actually for your for your well being they are in fact centralizing the truth and two mm-hmm. things like hate dislike uh disfavor towards ideas are natural human sentiments and are and are causations for reflective behavior until these concepts are filtered down you can't actually have a change these concepts are cultural to america that is why in america this is such a strong right hmm fair enough and on and on that depressing note we will end up today's podcast buddy thanks uh, a lot uh, i <laughs> and uh, abhi dekhenge agli baar kya aur koi subject sochenge the jisse hum logon ko dukhi kar sake taki abhi mere ko जो तूने वो लास्ट और रवांडा वाली जजमेंट वो कनाडा की बोली ना और जो उन्होंने वो इंटरप्रिटेशन किया लॉ की वो सुन के तो मेरा भी दिमाग घूम गया कि लोगों की क्या वाइल्ड इमेजिनेशन होती है इट्स इनसेन बट इट इज व्हाट इट इज प्लेजर टॉकिंग टू यू एज ऑलवेज मैन थैंक्स फॉर कमिंग देयर इज नो डिस्प्यूट दैट इज रेफरेंस वाज एग्जैक्टली दैट दो यू नो बट दिस डॉग विसल जजमेंट्स आर वेरी डेंजरस वेरी डेंजरस या यू नो व्हाई द कैनेडियन सुप्रीम कोर्ट प्रॉब्ली फेल्ट एंपावर्ड इज दे वर डूइंग इट इन द कॉन्टेक्स्ट ऑफ अ जेनोसाइड a known genocide mm. right they probably yes. wouldn't have been able to do this in the context of uh, these vague allegations of death or genocide you know then it, then they couldn't have done it it's, it's a different thing yeah i know i know well we lend the podcast today guys yeah well you can go and follow nikhil on twitter i've left his twitter handle in the description of the podcast itself go follow him on twitter um uh, अभी वर्ल्ड कप भी चालू है सो यू कैन यू नो सी निखिल इन इज एलिमेंट वेन द फुटबॉल वर्ल्ड कप इज ऑन एंड दैट्स इज फेवरेट स्पोर्ट सो इफ यू वॉन्ट टू हैव फुटबॉल फाइट्स विद हिम ट्विटर ही इज मोर देन हैप्पी टू एंगेज इन दैट ऑल्सो एज एज पीपल हु फॉलो हिम एज सीन सो एज आई एम कंसर्न All I said in the end was it felt like a bit of a carnival. The real World Cup is a 50-over World Cup. I watched two 50-over games between Australia and England, and I was like, "Man, T20 is nothing." Yeah, but I was very so, polite. My point is, I was very polite and non-critical about it. In fact, I praised it a lot. I followed it, what I could, and I and I tweeted about how good, you know, some of the shot-making and bowling was. Yep. 
Yeah, I I was very disappointed in you praising T20. I think he just caught up with me. I'm mellowed. Oh well, it's okay. Chalo, guys, we'll end up today's end today's podcast. Once again, please subscribe to the Charvak Podcast YouTube channel. Also, go on if you are a listener on iTunes and Spotify, leave a review over there. Go on Spotify and iTunes too. Become a member on YouTube or on Patreon or buy the merch or send your donations to UPI. I will see you guys next time. Until then, namaste. Take care. Bye.